Hi, and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents Humans Aren't Robots. I'm your host, Sam Davies. We have another episode from South Start today. Our good friend, Elaine Stead, who we've had on the podcast before. She is fantastic. I love hearing her talk. I actually got to see um, the panel that she was on this year at South Start, which is lucky for me because I didn't actually get to see that much as I was having these conversations. Um, But we dove in and talked about a number of things around business in Australia, um, how to go about funding um, a startup or or a business that's growing or scaling. We talked about the climate around success and failure here in Australia and how the media represents that, something that Elaine has felt personally over the last few years. Another really, really insightful conversation with Elaine. I'd love the chance to speak to her. I'd love to have her on the podcast again. So without me rambling on too much, let's dive right in with Elaine and I'll, um, I'll catch you at the end. Well, Elaine, welcome back to the uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's so Thank nice you. to have you on again. We're already d- uh, going off on tangents, which, which I which love. Which is normal. Um, we, we changed the name of the podcast since you were last on, so it's Humans Aren't Robots now, which um, basically stems from a lot of conversations I've had with a lot of people, yourself included, I think, um, the conversation we had last time, we, we touched on that a lot. And I'm probably more interested in the human side of, of what you do as opposed to necessarily getting into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Um, but you've just flown into South Star. We're, we're sitting in a... In a in a tent, in a, in a yurt. Is this a yurt? What do you call know. this? I, I was going to call it a teepee, <laughs> teepee but I think yeah. it's too big to be a teepee. Mm. It's a, we've, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool setup. I love um, it. I love it. It gives you a bit of um, uh, solitude from the rest of the crowd. Yeah, exactly. But, you can, but it's well, there we go. We're calling in the new nice. session. I might actually, if, as long as you've got time, if we can just have a I chat got, and and, and, and go yeah, through yeah, it because yeah. it is pretty noisy in the background. Um, which, by the way, is a great indication of how many people have turned up to South Star I was pretty from impressed all over Australia. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually pretty pretty happy and I hope the organisers also feel happy about it because, um, you know, it's hard to get um, the rest of Australia where the majority of the innovation and entrepreneurial kind of community resides to come here for something like this. I'm sure it's yeah. the same for Western Australia when they do West Tech. So, yeah. um, which I think is just a credit to the fact that there is so much more happening here in SA and the conference is good quality and great speakers and you know we had Brad Feld just on before yeah, so amazing you know. I was um, speaking to Mark Redding from Atlassian so this is the first conference that Atlassian have been involved with outside of Sydney totally right yeah wow yeah huh. which is kind well, of crazy there you go that's a that's a <laughs> there's a win <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um, so, looking out of the tent here, we have a campfire. So, C- Craig's vision for this... You know, it's not an actual fire, no, it's just not an actual because fire. it's 41 <laughs> degrees today in Adelaide. It's a, to- so catas- a total, ca- catastrophic fire total ban today. fire ban because it's catastrophic fire conditions. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a paper mache fire. Um, but yeah, his, his idea, and he wanted to do it last year too, is, is about getting people around and having discussions and opening up yeah. Yeah, some of those more human discussions outside of just sitting and uh, consuming... Absolutely. And one one of the things that I think they've done very well with South Start, which I haven't seen so much in just other conferences, but hopefully will, will happen a bit more, is after the kind of sessions of the day, there are these dinners, you yeah. know, and they're like movable, you know, you can move yeah. between them. And so, you know, it's a way to kind of foster people to interact in a way that is more human to, yeah. you know, 
quote what you were talking about before because it's around food. Yes, definitely. Instead Sharing, of, you yeah. know, being in a conference hall or, um, you know, I just think it it allows the opportunity for more human interaction, which is the only way we're really going to build community. So, 100%. Craig likened it when I was speaking to him, you know, around the sitting around the kitchen at a house party at 2 a.m., you know, and, and yeah. that, that's when the best conversations happen. Totally, totally. And there's alcohol involved usually. Yeah, that so. helps. Um, <laughs> so you, you've just flown in this morning? Yeah, so, I mean, I live here now, yeah. but um, I, I happened to be in Canberra and okay. Brisbane yesterday, so um, the only flight I could get back was this morning. <laughs> and so I barely made it to my session by the um, hair on my chinny-chin-chin, <laughs> but I'm here, so it's great. So we've just walked out of your session. So um, how, how did that go? Tell me, tell me what you thought about that conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, look, I think it was. It, I mean, it's so hard for me to say. It's more what the audience thinks. But mm. I think the goal of that session was really to try and give um, people who aren't investors a bit of an insight into kind of the way that we think. Um, but uh, you know, and part of the challenge with a conference like this is you don't have enough time to dig into the more um, kind of nuanced answers to some of those questions because, you know, there's the stuff that anyone can look up online about what investors look for or what VCs look for and, um, you know, you can hack your way to being an optimal founder and, but I think there's a whole bunch of stuff that investors probably do um, incorporate into their calculus on whether they're going to make an investment and a lot of it's very human stuff yeah sure and um so it would be great one day to kind of have a session where that gets discussed in a bit more detail okay um but you know that's just you know if i was in the audience that's what i would want to hear I'm trying to think, like, I, I, and I didn't know what I wanted to talk to you about. I went back and listened to our last conversation where we actually talked about that, the, the human side of being a founder, and, and you were talking about um, intestinal fortitude and, 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 and grit, um, which, I, which I think is interesting. But I, I thought listening into that conversation, especially listening to Andre before and, and knowing sort of, you know, Andre as a founder and, and what he's passionate about, mm-hmm. purpose didn't really get mentioned a lot from a, from a founder's perspective. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in, well, I think, I think last time we spoke, you mentioned that um, measuring purpose in terms of its value, right? So mm. I think we we're talking about Movember Foundation and, and, you know, it's curing cancer, but you can't measure it in terms of maybe those metrics. Yeah. But how important is purpose from, a, from an entrepreneur's point of view or a founder's point of view? Yeah, I, I, so I, I think, as I just said on the stage, I think it's really hard to quantify it, mm. but it's, it's, you kind of, it's one of those things that you know it when you see it. Yeah, and sure. the reason I think it's important is because um, p- part, of, part of what will inevitably happen in every company is they're going to go through some really challenging times. Yep. And if you don't have a – if you're not doing what you're doing, um, if, you, if it's just a job to you, mm. it's pretty easy to give up, right? Sure. And I, and I say that knowing that no founder, I think – thinks of what they're building as just a job because you can never really switch off. But I think um, knowing, ha- having a sense that you're uh, of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, mm. um, which I think is ultimately what purpose comes down to, um, is important because when the shit hits the fan or things go pear-shaped, um, that's going to be that one extra thing that kind of helps what dissuade you yeah. from giving up. Um, and that's why I think purpose is kind of important because um, it, it's that thing that keeps you tethered yes. to the plan. 
instead of just going, ah, this is hard, you know, oh, my wife and I have just broken up and we're co-founders, this is way too complicated. I'm, I'm just out. Gonna, I'm out. So, um, yeah, that, that's why I think purpose is important. One of the things that I've found amongst colleagues, entrepreneurs, is that there's this because there's this such conversation around around purpose and meaning and and you know um, you know companies for, mm. for purpose rather than than profit or all these kinds of things. They're almost trying to reverse engineer it in their mind. So they're like, okay, well, I've got a, a really close mate who runs an awesome business and mm. has been you know through some incredibly up and down times and has always kept running. But he's he's sort of like, well, I don't. He's trying to make now like. You know, mold in a, a purpose around what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I, I've found that myself. I think if you ask me straight on, like part of it is not that easy to clarify in a statement, right? Mm. This is my this is my driving purpose. Mm. No, I, I and I'm not sure you need to break it down into like a soundbite. Sure. But I think it's more about having an awareness for yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. Um, you know, for Andre, you mentioned him before. For him, he's like he's got the most clarity out of anyone I've ever met yeah. about what his purpose is and what drives him. And yeah, you know, he's now focusing that talent on how to help other exactly. companies and other entrepreneurs work that out. Mm. Um, but but for me, um, I think it's more important that I just articulate it to myself, yeah. so it doesn't have to be a soundbite that I share with other people. But I do agree. Like I feel like it, it's one of these buzzwords which. Is, going to get overused and companies going to talk about their purpose but not actually live it yes they'll talk about it like mission statements and, and vision statements and um yeah. so but i think it's just more about you understanding why you're doing what you're doing because that's the thing that's going to um kind of gird gird you when things are really going wrong sure but what about then though and I actually, I was speaking with Andre about this the other day, and it's actually, it, it's hard speaking to him because he is, he does have such clarity, and mm. you know, us directly, you know, what's your purpose? And I, so for me, one of the driving forces for starting a business and continuing to do it, and everything I do is around, I think, creating a sense of freedom for, for myself. Absolutely. Um, and it's quite a selfish thing at the end of the day. No, it's, but so so that I reckon we have to deal with because I don't think. Why is why is that a bad thing? Well, I don't necessarily think it is, but I, personally, I don't think it is. But right. it, when okay. I say it to people, it feels like that. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but I think um, the uh, the most important thing is honesty, right? Yeah. So if you're if that's your purpose mm. and that's what's going to kind of um, stabilize you when things are going pear shaped and keep you kind of understanding what your true north is. Yeah. Awesome, great. Like, it doesn't have to be about other people. Your purpose doesn't have to be um, altruistic. Yes. It's, it's just the, the end goal. It's not even the goal. It's, it's the driver why? behind What's it. It's the why, right? And I think, it's, I think we need to, and Australians are bad at this, um, I think we need to get over this concept that it's a bad thing if we're trying to like if we're being a bit selfish yeah. or if it's about us and not about other people or or trying to make money. I mean, Steve just touched on it. Then I think at one point is that at the end of the day, I mean, as a venture capitalist, you're in the business to make money. Like you're, you're investing to to make money. Uh, absolutely, but I, I think the reason why the purpose thing and and some of the more fluffy things get talked about um, within the kind of sphere of VC is because I do think there are a lot easier ways to make money than venture. Yeah, sure. So, therefore, it tends to attract people who do have another goal yes. <laughs> outside of just making money for other people. Yeah. And so, that's why I think it's a relevant 
thing to talk about. Mm. And because it is such a um, process that's dependent on other people, like, you know, if you're a VC, you can't make money on your own. No. It, it relies on you finding great founders and other good co-investors and building a, the right sort of team around the founder and, the you know, it's just so people-dependent Yes, that, um, yeah, I've yet to find a VC who's driven only by money. Sure. But I also don't believe it when people say they are not driven by it at all. Yeah, well, it's definitely a factor within it. Of course. Um, back to what we're saying about me and freedom. So Andre's question for me after that was, okay, but then how does that resonate with the team? Mm. So, so okay, so that's fine for me, but if we have a, have a team of people and, and you know, a, a culture that exists within that community, mm. um, he's like, if I ask every one of your team members to, to clearly clarify, um, you know, the, the purpose of Digital Noir, would they be able to do that? Mm. And my answer is honestly no. Like I think they they would each give a different answer. They, there may be there'll be core tenets to what they talk about, and you know we we we've gone through our values as a team, and we we yeah. I'm, I'm big on trying to instill that. But then there's no sort of like clear driving. You know, we are trying to do this for these people. Yeah, but I think there is probably a difference between the purpose, your purpose, yeah, as Sam, yes, um, and why you created Digital Noir. Mm. But then there is a purposes to what that um, company agency now does for its customers. Yes, definitely. And I reckon all of your team probably would have a very unified view about what your company's purpose is um, and in how you deliver for, you know, the the people who you help. But that doesn't have to be the same thing as your No, no, sure. I think there is that element of, this is now a therapy session for me, Um, there's (laughs) (laughs) there's an element of that. I think, again, people thinking that it needs to be more altruistic, that the purpose of a, of a business than what it is, like it, as it can be as simple as, you know, we, d- we just help um, design brilliant, you know, user experiences. Yep. And that's it, you know, yep. that, which, which is fantastic. Yeah, you don't have to save the world, no. I don't think. And I think, you know, Andre's vision is that he, he wants um, more uh, companies and corporate entities to be thinking about how can they also... Um, make a contribution back to the world that isn't just take, 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 right? Mm. Um, and I think that's a um, that's a useful lens for any company or founder or entrepreneur to apply to what they're doing. 100%. Right? Um, but it's totally fine to be selfish too. Like the reason I do what I do is because I also want the freedom of um, running my own business, which happens to be, a, you know, a fund manager. Mm. Um, but I am in this business because I'm also very much enjoy helping entrepreneurs build things like yeah. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that that's partly selfish too because I get satisfaction yeah. out of it but it's also altruistic because you are helping people yeah. and um, the test for that I think is would you still be doing it if you weren't getting paid to do it and the answer is yes because sure. I do so many unpaid versions of this mm. and always have so um, I don't know I just think it's about uh just being clear to yourself about why you're doing what you're doing because it just, you know, it centres you when you're, you've got a whole bunch of um, curveballs being thrown at you, I think. And you're kind of going, God, why am I still up at 3am in the morning thinking about this? Mm. Um, well, because that's the trade-off for me running my own business. That's 100%. Right? It's, just, it's just easy to answer those questions when you've got a clearer view to yourself. Mm about why you're doing what you're doing. You're right. And I suppose looking um, 
for traits within a founder, someone that has that, someone that is going to be up at 3am worrying about that. And I think, how, how much do you look as a VC into the team behind it? So, I mean, mm-hmm. let's take a back step a little bit, I suppose. I'm interested in, in that conversation. So there was um, talk about, you know, all this investment. And then towards the end, we sort of said, well, actually, you know, not that many companies in Australia are ever going to get to it. Um, yeah. You know, have a conversation with someone like yourself in terms of sort of you know past the seed round funding. Mm. Um, what does it look like as an entrepreneur actually building something to the point where I can come and talk to you? So, what does it look like? From like what, what 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 work needs to go into? Like, what stage does my company need to be at before right. I can start talking to a venture capitalist? Um, so, you should start talking to venture capitalists as early as possible. Just don't go if you know that you're likely to be too early for what their fund invests in. Yeah. Don't go to them asking for money. Perfect. Go to them and say, "Hey, I just want to be on your radar. I want you to be on my radar. I just want to get to know you guys." Um, and I think that's a very easy conversation to have. And I don't. I think it's really hard for a VC to say no, <laughs> no to that conversation, yeah, right? Sure. Um, so I, I think um, you know this is. We didn't actually get back to it. Larry on the panel was going to ask about investor-founder compatibility, but Mm. um, that's how you find out whether you've got investor-founder compatibility is just spending time, getting to know them over a long period. Um, You know, are they generous with their time or, you know, are they um, dismissive and would they give advice easily and is it helpful (laughs) advice? Um, You can find that stuff out way before you're ever asking them for cash. Um, but to your specific question around um, what, what do they need to look like for us? So for, for us at the South Australian Venture Fund, uh, you know, our, our focus is really um, late seed stage Series A. And a lot of people say, oh, what does that mean? Like sure. Series A to one person can be different for, um, to, to another. But mostly it is that they have a product that's built. Yep. Um, and ideally, they've got some sort of product market fit established, in, you know, to use Steve Baxter's wonderful terms for traction. Traction, yeah. Um, and that, oh, wow, you're Beautiful. an angel. Someone's <laughs> just bought me coffee. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and that's the difference between seed and Series A, I think. So um, Series A is typically companies that have got, a lot, you know, quite a bit of traction they know um, what strategies work and now they just need to scale them up. That's kind of series A. Okay. For me, um, late seed is where you might have a few customers and you've got kind of an inkling of um, you know, what works in terms of acquiring customers or what markets are going to be your beachhead or, um, and, but you're still figuring that out, right? Mm. So it's not a fate of complete, you're still figuring it out. So typically... Um, companies will look like that um, uh, before we'll be like yeah that's great that's right in our sweet spot let's you know take a deeper dive um, into what you're building and, and how you're going about it um, yeah so that and how formal is it so so obviously it can start very informal the process started just as a conversation yeah um, how for, what's the process then from there in terms of sort of formalities around uh, actually starting a, a more serious conversation yeah so um uh, as I sort of um, said before, we tend to interact with people on a relatively informal basis to start with. But once we've worked out, you know what, this is something we want to dig into in more detail, um, then then we start a slightly more formal process, which is more, it's not formal from the company's perspective, it's just more formal internally where 
you know, we start to put together documents that summarise what we think the investment opportunity is and um, what we think the, um, you know, the, the challenges or the risks might be or the things that we still don't know enough about and need to answer. Um, and then we'll sort of kick that around with our investment committee um, and then, you know, depending on how advanced the company is in terms of how much information they have at their sort of fingertips, yeah. um, you know, if we decide that absolutely this is something that we think we can really help, com- like we actually think we can be useful mm. <laughs> and it's a good investment, um, then that process starts to get more formal where we'll move into a formal due diligence phase. Yep. And then it's, you know, here's a checklist of information that we usually ask companies for. You know, can you provide that to us? You know, we, we'll sort of get to a, a term sheet stage. We'll have that negotiation. Then we'll do sort of more formal confirmatory DD. Um, so that process is quite formal internally. Yes. Um, but it probably doesn't feel too formal from the founder's perspective. I, I know some funds will have like set meetings they bring the team in to present to all the partners and um you know that's quite a formal process i think and just by nature of our size (laughs) that's not ever required so um we still do i think the same level of dd um but i think the process is just a little less um sort of structured okay yeah um i read your article on what you saw as the future of Australian VC. And so I thought you had some pretty interesting points in there. Something that, that, that um, stuck out for me was around um, those uh, supporting services that VCs potentially could offer. So you, I think mm. you spoke about you know, marketing and, and design, which was interesting from, from my perspective. But then um, people management and um, what, I suppose, as a founder, what am I expecting you know, from, outside of investment? Yeah. Is, you know, what other services or assistance dep- comes? It depends a little bit on the VC fund and their size, right? So, um, you know, John Henderson just mentioned before about what Airtree do is they've got 49 portfolio companies now. Um, and there's some pretty substantial learnings that exist in different kind mm. of areas across those 49 portfolio companies where there's information sharing that can be really beneficial. And maybe Airtree distill that down and share that around, or maybe they um, provide a forum for you know all of the marketing and design people in their companies to kind of get together and swap notes. Yeah, um, I'm not entirely sure how that works, but I think that's one area where VCs can be incredibly useful. The bigger the fund is, the bigger, the, the more um, uh, services they, they tend to be able to offer. So a lot of um, funds will have um, a HR person who's full-time and then their role is to help the portfolio companies recruit um, different roles because that's typically in an early-stage business not a function that sits no. within a startup. Um, someone who really does that every day for their you know professional life. So... Um, so it ranges a lot for the different funds, um, but even the smallest funds like us, like we've now, you know, worked with a, a pretty large number of companies ourselves, and so there's some learnings that we have and some networks that we have um, that can help short circuit a lot of that stuff for people. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's that stuff which is a bit of a load off an entrepreneur's mind like if they can be like do you know what I don't know what I'm doing on this recruitment front can you just run that recruitment process or can you sit in it with me so I can you know like shadow what you're doing and 
So, you know, it might be as basic as that or it might be as sophisticated as what John was talking about before, but it's, it's pretty dependent on the fund. But you see that as something that's important for, for, that, to, for that to be baked into it in, in some regard? I think um, it's part of the added value, right? So if, if you're looking for venture capital because you want more than money, um, what your venture capital team um, can can help you with over a long period of time, not immediately, I think is 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 absolutely important. And I think that's something where, as we see these funds get bigger and um, and have more funds under management, they have the ability to um, build more of those shared services into what they're offering. Yeah, and it's interesting, like John said, to actually use the portfolio mm. you know, um, as a service itself. Absolutely. So, you know, at Blue Sky, when we were, you know, at, at sort of the height of um, our resources, you know, we try and use the leverage that we'd been able to build across, you know, the 90 different assets to help provide some of these shared services to people like travel bookings and get the various sure. discounts that you can get from having, um, you know, uh, 4,000 people <laughs> using using your account instead of just, you know, 10 or 20. And so I think there is benefits to scale, which can absolutely um, be useful for entrepreneurs and, and startups that, you know, won't be able to see the benefit of that sort of scale for like 10 years. In my own personal experience, as you la- add layers of accountability on, so um, let's say as a, as a as solo entrepreneur or a freelancer, you know, that your, your first hire um, adds this, this level of accountability, right? You're now accountable for someone yep. greater than yourself, or, you know, even, even a bigger client. But then um, looking at, you know, mentors or business advisors, coaches, it just starts adding these, these levels of accountability that I think personally, as you add those layers, it, it just, it makes you grow as a person and as, as a business. Yeah. So an advisory board and then, you know, a, some sort of formal investment is that is that next step? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, oh, Luke Kinnear from Culture um, Safety Culture um, said that he feels like he has to reinvent himself every twelve months. Okay. So he's got to be a different person with a different skill set, and um, he's got to kind of step up to that every yeah, twelve months, sure. or else he's not going to be in a position to run the business that he founded. Um, and I think part of that gets driven by having this additional accountability mm. um, that gets layered on top of everything that you're doing as you scale up. 100%. And, and if you see businesses that do scale quickly. I think they often have that accountability coming thrust upon them. And I've, I've got some mates with great businesses that have sort of stayed at a similar size for you know a decade because I think personally they, they haven't added that. And it, and that might be perfect for them, right? Yeah. That, that's that's fantastic. But as soon as you add that that extra that layer, it, it does it forces you to sort of reinvent yourself. And absolutely. And and I think this is why you know it, there is. You often see a company for which the founder was the, the right person to build it from zero to, um, you know, $10 million in revenue, but they're not necessarily the person to, yeah. to take it further. And um, that might be um, a function of the company and how the market's moving, but it's often a function of they're not growing either, right? And it's not, this is not just a founder problem, by the way. No. This is, you know, I'm the same, right? I've got to constantly be thinking, um, 
you know, how do I improve so that I'm a better investor? Because if I'm not, like, I'm not going to have a career in yeah, this that's industry right. forever, right? And, so, and that's very fast moving too. So. Yeah. So I think this is true for anyone who's in, um, who's, who is trying to build a business and has an aspiration to um, make it bigger than it is today. Um, I'm speaking with Alex Moss uh, this afternoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, I, I saw her wrote, um, she said that she thinks that the Australian um, ecosystem is perhaps you know, 20 years behind the UK or um, the US. Um, I don't know, I'm interested in your thoughts on, on that statement. It seems, I mean, I'm going to talk to her about it too, because 20 years is a long time, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we might be 20 years behind, but it won't take us 20 years to catch up. Okay, interesting. I, I think, like, it, you know, in terms of how I've seen, you know, there's disparity in the sophistication of different um, ecosystems within Australia. And, um, you know, I feel like, for example, South Australia is um, further behind Sydney, Melbourne and, and Brisbane. Yes. Um, but it, let's say it's three years behind. It's not going to take us three years to catch up because... No we get to sort of stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us and, um, you know, avoid the mistakes that some of the others have had to make. Um, and so it won't take us that long to catch up. But you should ask Alex, actually, I, I when will, you when you talk to her because um, she told me a story once about how when she was raising money for um, Canaria that um, she had investors who were uh, telling her how to dress. Wow. And so, okay, you so know, I, that is a 20-year-old, yes, like... Sure. Um, kind of concept that you know you have to dress a certain way mm. um, and you know Alex is very um, uh, create like she's a she's an artist I think really deep down she's got her own style for sure 100% but that's kind of what differentiates her it's awesome what, why would you want to no uh, anyway put on a power suit yeah so <laughs> look um, you know it's that sort of behaviour I think that's probably uh, partly to blame for that comment but it'd be good to get a bit more of a granular understanding. Yeah, because I didn't know whether, that. you know, if it was from a, you know, the finance perspective or a cultural perspective and maybe it is more from that cultural perspective because that's a... Yeah, yeah. Look, I'll I'll be really interested to hear her podcast because <laughs> I do I do want to know that. Look, I, I do think there are some, you know, I wrote an article about it recently. I think there are some cultural things that are holding us back, but I don't think it puts us 20 years behind some of these other, um, you know, uh, more developed um, economic... What, what are some of those cultural things, do you think? that? Oh, so, you know, I mean, I'm not going to argue for tall poppy. I think everyone sure. agrees that exists. But um, I do think there is this, I think we are still incredibly conservative in Australia. And by that, I mean, um, you know, we're quite scared to take risks. And the reason we're quite scared to take risks is because we might fail. Mm. And if we do fail... You know, it, it, it can be pretty devastating in Australia the way we treat people who <laughs> um, have failed or fallen short. And um, and so I think that's kind of limiting our ambition, to be honest. And I think that that is um, boxing us into this kind of averageness. Like we're, yeah. we're never, you know, with, with a couple of exceptions, it just makes it hard for us to kind of push the envelope if um, by... Uh, you know, the, in the process of pushing the envelope, you're going to have a few kind of failures or missteps. Um, and, you know, if those people get sort of cast away like lepers for, for that happening, um, then we're never really going to push the envelope a lot. 
Um, and I just think we're being left behind. So it's not so much that I think we're 20 years behind anywhere else. I'm worried that in 10 years, we will be 20 years behind everywhere else. Yeah, it's a worry. You mentioned like the, the media and how they so that, uh, how that's reflected in you know failure. I was listening, it was interesting listening to all the rhetoric around the bushfires last week and, and just how unnuanced and, and sh- absolutely shit the reporting is around it. Like, mm. no, the, you know, it's, it's pointing fingers, it's, mm. it's black and white. There's, there's no actual real discussion going on there. And I think, you know, when someone fails or when something goes wrong, it's the same thing. There's, mm. no, there's no real nuanced discussion going on. And I, I appreciate people need to sell papers, but I think culturally in Australia, people are still very much in that mindset. Oh, yeah. And look, it's not just the media here. It's the media in the UK. I mean, the, oh, yeah, like, sure. yes, <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, I just think news cycles are short. Um, people don't have a lot of time. At, you know, if you're a journalist, you don't have a lot of time to investigate a story and um, and kind of get to the bottom of the nuance. And so I think the reporting reflects that. But it's also not just – that's not necessarily the media's fault. No. We are the ones who click on that stuff yep. or listen to the, that sort of – or read by the newspaper mm-hmm. because – we love reading that stuff, yeah. I think, you know, whether it's catastrophic bushfire and, you know, is it climate change or is it God, <laughs> as, as per Izzy, <laughs> um, you know, that stuff is what gets people's attention and we'd love to read that stuff. So we're as responsible. It's not just, it's not the media. No, sure. Well, they They're was, reflecting what They write what sells too, correct. right? Or gets clicked yeah. on more so these days. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I think it's a broader cultural thing. How do we address that, though? That's oh, look, I just think uh, it's it's um, there's no silver bullet, but I think it's calling it out, actually. Yeah. So, um, like, I would love there to be, um, you know, if, with your example about the bushfire coverage, mm. I would love there to be um, a response to that, which is some sort of other media organisation which actually does give the nuanced view. Yeah. That's the way to kind of call it out is to provide an alternative and see how that engages with the community. And I think when we take down someone who has um, failed, like, you know, you know, Jodie Fox is the m- more recent example where she's a prey, you know, that uh, the company that she founded has ended up in administration. Mm. Like, she is just because you're a failure doesn't mean you're a criminal. <laughs> no, that's right, yeah. And just because you've failed doesn't mean you're hopeless or um, uh, don't have, uh, you know, a uh, expertise that can then um, contribute back to the ecosystem in a, in a way that will eventually be really successful. It's just a really narrow view. And I think that's partly our um, colonial... <laughs> It's yes, and, and but the way we can, I, I had a, a, a really good um, impression example last week of a, a colleague of mine, a friend um, who she works for. She's in the barbecue community. Um, she, I think this would resonate with you. The Daily Mail, UK Daily Mail, published a, an article which would have been a press release from the business she works for. Um, it got heavily slanted to put, sort of put her as um, Aussie Queen of um, Barbecue says, you know, let's forget Bogan barbecues. It was, it was something around that. It was, yep. it was a shitty piece of journalism. It, it, was, it was nothing, right? It was the, the um, UK Mail. But within that community, she just got slammed. Like, mm. you know, I, I think maybe 
1% of the, the commenters on this thread would have actually read the article. Mm. They're just commenting on what other people have said. Again, it's a Daily Mail article. Yeah. It, it's, it's, especially when you know somebody, it's, it's very... And like some of the comments were horrible, like, you know, really horrible. Mm. It's sort of like, how, how could... One, it's a Daily Mail article. Two, how can you read this much into it? And three, how can you just be so insensitive to sort of just, you know, this, this is a human sitting on the other end of... The, because um, it's not humans interacting with other humans. Yeah. It's um, humans writing about another human and they're three or four degrees separated mm. from them. They're separated from the outcome. They're separated from the um, collateral damage that it has and they're incentivized by different things. Mm. I think that's the sad truth of it. Even like yesterday, I think on Twitter, I saw... <laughs> um, article about how Kylie Jenner has just sold like a majority um, uh, share of her cosmetics company mm. and a lot of the comments on that were like oh like it's not really her company or she didn't really do anything and I'm like see this is the problem instead of being like this is awesome yeah this 21 year old kid with the help of others no doubt sure. has built this business she's just pocketed 600 million dollars that's a success yeah Celebrate. Who cares if it's not like highbrow, technical, you know, some sort of innovation? You know, it's cosmetics, so what? I, I just think we're obsessed with um, uh, kind of, uh, we just don't want to celebrate success here. And mm. I don't know why that is. Yeah, it's a continuing conversation, but it, it, it is very strange. Yeah. And so I think it's, we don't want to celebrate success. We. We also don't want to give people who have failed a second chance without yep. a lot of groveling. Yep. We expect them to grovel a lot and be very grateful to get mm. a second chance. Um, and so I think that's just boxing us into the middle. Well, I think I think one way forward um, is you know having more conversations around. So here at South, South you know, over the next couple of days, mm. there's some great conversations uh, around. Yeah, like in this world, people fail. That that's how you get. Well, better. we're doing one today. Yeah. So at the end of the day, um, we've got a panel on startup failures. So, um, hopefully, we can talk about that stuff because I just you know, like we can shy away from it, or and we can say, well, we can't change it, but. Um, I, I also think we can't afford not to. No, we, we definitely can't. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you've obviously been in the hurricane a few times. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's great people like yourself actually coming out and yeah, having the guts and the, to stand up and say, well, you know, this is the reality of the situation. Mm. Um, and teaching young people, you know, that might be at conferences like this that, that it is okay and that, that there's a path. Oh, and look, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not tone deaf. Like, there's a lot of people who will be like, um, you shouldn't be talking about that stuff. You should be embarrassed about that stuff. Mm. You should be, um, uh, yeah, you should feel guilty. Yeah, okay. Um, and, but I still think we need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, or else no one's going to learn anything from it, you know, including me, and, but more importantly the other people in the audience. Like I just think it's... Um, yeah, it's not fun to come and talk about this stuff because I'll no. probably get another, you know, showing in the newspaper for what I say. But um, it, it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. <laughs> no, that's right. We were having some conversations around this at dinner last night. It was around gender and politics, but it was you, you, we, you still need to have everybody in the conversation. Like we can't just be polarized all the time. That you need to have the whole gamut of you know the conversation there and and let and do let people have their voices. Yeah, you don't have to. 
accept what they say. Yeah, that's right. But give them a, a, an opinion and also understand that their opinion is probably valuable. That's right. Yeah, and you can or, learn something from it. Or maybe it. suspend disbelief for just a second and think, well, maybe they're not complete fuck-ups. They've actually, you know, there's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's always nuggets of wisdom in, in everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you're hanging around for the next couple of days? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm here all day today, tonight, tomorrow. Um, I think my family are going to come along tomorrow as well. My niece nice. and nephew are going to come and check it out because partly what Craig and I were talking about last week was just how how do we engage kind of a younger audience into what this actually is. You know, to our conversation that started this podcast about maths. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and how you just get taught this you know, these hard tools in school without ever really understanding the beauty that um, can occur when you apply them in a creative way. The same thing we think is true for students in that they don't get how what they're learning can be translated into something really creative and beautiful and and can actually build something. And the reality of that being manifest here in South Australia. Correct. Right? Yeah. So showing it by having them here and all student and all students are free can come for free. So um, I just think that's really important. And if we get the opportunity to do this conference again next year, I think we'll try and push that harder. Push that harder. I, I agree. And in our lead up, I was sort of urging, especially at a university level, but high school too, um, mm-hmm. to get down here. I, I didn't go to a conference like this until I was probably, you know, four years into running my business. And, mm-hmm. and the first one I went to, I was like, why haven't I been doing this the whole time? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, like, demystifying the process by just putting people in front of the people who are doing it. It's not more complicated than that. No. Um, but it's super important. And there is something different than watching a TED Talk on YouTube and actually being in the audience. Like, it really is different. So I think there is maybe some of that generation like, well, I'll just, I'll watch the, uh, you know, I'll watch the clips or whatever. But Absolutely. And I think, so seeing people who are recognisable because perhaps they also buy a coffee from the same coffee shop that you do That's right. is is part of it but also I think the more you come to these events and hear the stories the more you realise that they're just ordinary people yeah. like you know granted there are some people here who are super super smart but mostly they're just ordinary humans who've just you know um, for whatever reason decided that they want to be an entrepreneur and start their own business yeah. and that's a spectrum of people and I think you know what my niece was most um, kind of interested by when she came to a some of the events previously was just like, huh, they're kind of just like me. Like yeah. that person, you know, like dropped out of school and then kind of found their thing later. And like it's just having kids identify with this and realise it's not an unachievable thing and it's not limited to the Elon Musk, you know, mad geniuses That's of right. the world. It's just like just ordinary people building businesses. Yeah, with some passion that have had, and have had the permission, how, whatever, wherever that's come from, to just you know, follow a dream or yeah. you know, follow some purpose. So, totally. Oh, yeah, hopefully we see a lot of kids down here enjoying yeah. it. And yeah. Thanks Fingers so much crossed. for your time. It's awesome oh, to chat pleasure. with you again. Yeah, nice to see you, We'll Sam. have to do it again next year. Definitely. Cheers. All right, thank you. Thanks. Hi, it's Sam here again. Thank you so much to Elaine for taking the time out of her schedule to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. You're welcome on the podcast anytime you like. And thank you so much to Southstart for having us along. What a great partnership. We really enjoyed the couple of days that we sat down. I mean, the quality of the speakers and the vibe in the convergence was incredible. 
we made some great new friends and learned some really really cool stuff so can't wait for this year 2020's conference which will come screaming around the corner later in the year if you enjoyed this conversation we'd love to hear some feedback from you or share it with your friends colleagues family whoever feel free to hit us up on any social media channels just search digital noir and you'll find us and until next week we're signing out Thanks.